and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Obeska, and I am happy to announce that we have just been named to the top 40 social justice podcasts by Feedspot. So, hey, but in other news, I'm delighted to present this interview with autistic filmmaker Stephen Fraser, who presents a beautiful short film about face blindness called Prosopagnosia that's currently on the festival circuit. Welcome, and I deeply appreciated your short, Prosopagnosia, which I have to say, I really appreciated the insight that you brought to it with the animation as well as all of the insight around the feelings of it. But I have to ask, in the animation of it, how did you feel about the visualization of the issue for you? What was most important to you to impart to your audience? Yeah, I mean, well, prosopagnosia, it means like face blindness. So sometimes when I look at people's faces, I can't tell who that person is. And that's quite like a difficult thing to explain to people. So I wanted to kind of just really like embrace the sort of atypical nature of that. And I thought, well, animation is the best way, you know, it's a good way to get um, points across visually. So just trying to, I mean, so I really just like the idea of using different animation techniques to explain this really complicated thing in kind of like a really visual but simplistic way. So that was kind of like the basis of my thinking behind it. And the style of the visuals that you included is this very beautiful kind of pop art style. And I wondered why you chose that particular combination of stop motion with the visuals and the drawings. Yeah, I mean, the kind of like the idea behind the film is like me opening up this memory box that has lots of like items in it, including like sketchbooks and like old photographs and Polaroids. So basically when I was going through my diagnosis process, I was going out and sketching people's faces all the time. So I had to like sketchbooks with different drawings. So really the idea of the film is me opening up these sketchbooks and just looking at what they are. So the drawings were kind of bright and bold and, and I was looking at faces and I was really getting intensely into what a face is, like the eyes and nose and mouth. So that's kind of like why it's that style because I really wanted to just focus on that and focus on the features of the face. So even like the Polaroids at times, they're like close up of my eyes and close up of my mouth. And and also just kind of like abstract images as well, I think I, I put in a quite a lot of. So just, you know, because it takes me several times to get it right, I think, get a, like a drawing correct or get a drawing the way that I feel that I want it to be. So there was these sort of like abstract drawings as well. So it was all kind of bright and bold and yeah, just a bit different, I suppose. It's really incredible, though, looking at the way that the artwork comes across, especially considering how difficult it must be to draw out exactly what you want as far as features go. Do you want to say anything about that process, or is that just my ignorance talking? Yeah, I mean, the process was kind of weird because, like, I had diaries and things, and I was trying to just tell a story, so I could have went in so many different directions. So I tried to kind of just kind of pull it in and try and create like a story with a beginning, a middle and an end. But that was kind of difficult because there isn't really an end because I still live with prosopagnosia. So yeah, so there was kind of different things in there. That's one of the things about disability narratives that often really traumatizes me, I have to say. Most of the time when you see a disability narrative, I'm someone who lives with a number of different disabilities myself. And so for me, 
I get really troubled when every documentary or everything I see automatically ends with a cure or death. And it's like, either thing is extremely invalidating. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times when people talk to me about, like, I'm autistic and I have agnosia, they'll say, oh, you suffer from... Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, well, no, I kind of live with it. And, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, there's times when it's difficult, but it's not like, you know, it's, it's not like I'm completely suffering from it all the time. It's really until people point it out to me, it's like, well, no, it's not really like that. It's kind of more like sometimes I'm in situations where I find it a bit more difficult, but I can still navigate it because I've lived with it my entire life. So... There is, so, yeah, so I don't think there is a solution. And kind of like what I was suggesting with the film is, you know, I still live with it and, you know, I can live my life and do different things. And it's, it is disabling at times, but it's also just the way I am. And, you know, I can live with it. So I think other people should be able to live with it as well. And that is the thing for me as well. I just always feel like people want to see that there's an end in sight and that there's some delineation between quote unquote suffering and relief. And it's this ableist ideology that I think surrounds a lot of ideas of what film arcs should be like. And I just wonder if you're trying to look to forge a new path separate from that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really interested in making my work for like neurotypical people or like, able people. I'm kind of making it for, to be honest, like queer, neurodiverse people. And if other people like it, they can do. I know that's kind of like a niche, you know, it's like a niche audience, but I don't really care. It's like that's how, who I am and that's who I want to make it for. And I think other people, if they're curious about those things, they'll like it. And if they are, then they could just, you know, understand the fact that. It's not going to have the same narrative flow as an, like another story or like the general stories that we normally get given about disability. It's going to have a different, you know, a different conclusion, you know, and then a different narrative flow. So, yeah, I just hope people can understand that and respect it. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that people would certainly be able to understand that and respect it if they have some kind of understanding. I sometimes wonder, though, about how we can advance other people's understanding that disability is not a dirty word and that it's very important for those of us who are disabled to come forth and say so. And I often wonder about how that works in the filmmaking process. How do you see it as far as your filmmaking process? Yeah, like I don't mind just explicitly using words like queer or disabled or autistic or anything like that, because I'm just like, these things like this and I'm happy just to be open about it and just talk about it. Um, so I think that's always important just to kind of just be open and honest about you know, different things. And yeah, like if other people, you know, hopefully other people will want to experience it, but I don't really mind if they don't and it's kind of like on them. Yeah. I've just had so many experiences with people who are like, well, don't you want to say this thing or this thing or this thing instead. And it's like, well, no, because that doesn't reflect my experience precisely enough. Yeah. I think part of the problem is a lot of these disabled narratives have been, especially in film, have been made by people who aren't disabled. Exactly. And they're looking from the outside, trying to get in. And especially with autism, it's always like, you know, I want to get in that person's head and show you what they feel. And it's like, why aren't autistic people just allowed the same space that like non autistic people are allowed and just allow them you know 
you know, let them tell their own stories and let people tell their own stories because then instead of it being outside looking in, it's the inside giving you out, you know, and telling you a story. Um, and I think that's more important. And that would, yeah, I find that more interesting. Like, I'm not really, I've seen enough films about autistic people or um, neurodiverse people by non neurodiverse by, well, by neurotypical people that I just uh, don't want to see anymore. I want to see yeah. the, neuro, the neurodiverse people telling their stories. I find that way more interesting. Absolutely. And we're getting to a point where I think everybody expects to see people who are actually autistic playing autistic characters in front of the camera, but I don't understand why we don't expect the same behind the camera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, even I, I make films, but I do it independently, like I don't work in the industry. So like, it's because and I don't really know many people who do who are autistic or you're like neurodiverse. And I just would like to see more of that. Just more people behind the camera and you know doing the work other than you know being the subject of people's films i think there's so much more you know like autistic people and neurodiverse people can bring to cinema and art and i'd just love to see more of that yeah and that neurological complexity that i think is missing from the dialogue in general is something that we could definitely bring to it on the whole by producing things that are really genuinely different there's something deeply satisfying about your film, not just for thinking about how you think, but also the fact that it's a visual narrative that is so completely different from how other narratives are spelled out. The structure of it is quite different from what you're used to seeing. And so the visual language itself feels really unique and really like it's getting at something that's complex and interesting and fascinating in its own way. And I feel like this is something that we're losing by not propagating more of this kind of information. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you mean. I think because with this film, one thing I didn't want to do was show my face or show even other people's faces. The faces you see are like drawings or photographs. And I think that was kind of like a difficult thing to get across. But the fact that I was like, really kind of adamant that it's about face blindness, it's about prosopagnosia. Therefore, I want the audience to kind of have almost a similar perspective from me, so then I can't show faces. And then that idea of using the drawings and, you know, I use masks as well, um, like face masks and things. And that was really get the point across, and it kind of gave it this sort of different, like, uncanny visual style, I think. It did. It, it gave it a very uncanny visual style, but it also as a narrative, I think is just more interesting because it's not about the neurotypical. Maybe this is just me saying I like it because I'm also someone who comes from a neurodivergent place and it really feels good to honor those kinds of perspectives, but it's really quite fascinating. But then I wonder as far as the style that you chose to go with, because you went with such a bold imaginative style how did you feel about going for something that was very poppy versus something that was a little more subtle where did that decision come from yeah i think that was kind of difficult like working on the different styles i think that i didn't want it to be a subtle film so i wanted it to be <laughs> like just kind of get the point across and because it's only like 10 minutes as well like i didn't really have time to maybe build up the animation or build up the visuals and I kind of 
you know, like start small and then bring it up. I kind of just thought, no, I'm going to have to start with really bold animation and keep it going for the 10 minutes. So, yeah, so there's like a lot of like repetition in a way, like pages of the books opening up and, you know, the photographs opening up and things. So, but I just felt that I wanted it to be bold and wanted to get the point across quite succinctly. So, yeah, so that was kind of the main decision there. And in terms of projects going forward, what are you particularly considering and thinking about for your own independent projects? Yeah, I mean, I've just as finished another animation that I've been working on before I've done Posipagnosia. When I made Posipagnosia, I made it with the Scottish Documentary Institute. And they're just like um, like an organization which runs short films. So then I got the commission. So then I abandoned another project I was working on. And then I've gone back to that. And that's yeah. kind of... It's um, neurodiverse again, but it's, I'm kind of playing with the idea of coming out stories. So I've interviewed people who are, um, identify as queer or LGBT plus and also autistic. And it's how they tell people they're autistic. So it's about their coming out as autistic. And it draws like a parallel between the, you know, the queer coming out and the like neurodiverse coming out. That's really fascinating. Yeah, it's like a, it's another animation. It's a really different style, but it's like all hand drawn. But, um, yeah, it's like a four-minute film. It's really short, but it's taking me a long time. Well, I don't think people understand that at 24 frames per second, there's a lot of time that goes into every single frame. And to tell five seconds of a story is going to take you several hours. <laughs> yeah, it takes a long time. I think Posipagnosia was a bit easier in a way because it was stop motion um, and I was manipulating objects. So I could... And I didn't I did make most of it 12 frames per second. So... Um, so it allowed me to do a lot more things when like hand drawing is different. You can't. There's no. There's no like shortcuts really. You just got to draw everything. Yeah. No. That's incredible. In terms of other future stories that you want to tell, do you have any desire to work outside the field of documentary and narrative? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I like to do more like kind of drama. But yeah. But it takes me a lot of time to get my project started, and then when I start, like I'm really like get focused. So. Now that I've finished Posipagnosia and then this other film, I'm just about to finish, then, yeah, I'll be probably doing like a fiction drama. I'll be doing next. That's wonderful. And I just want you to know how much I value your work. And I think it's fabulous that you're in this space and that you're working on these different kinds of projects. I also wondered if you have any designs on doing anything in the television space. Not so much. I mean, I quite like short films because they're short and I can kind of manage them. I can kind of see the end when I start them in a way, even though it takes me a long time. But we have a television address in Scotland. It's kind of a bit more difficult, I think, to get into, especially with animation. So I don't know. I'll see what happens because, I mean, because of Pagnosia, has been quite a lot of film festivals. So there might be some opportunities to, you know, do more work because of the success of the film, but we'll see. What has been the most gratifying thing for you when you've seen the success of the film, though? Just the fact that it screens in like countries that I've never visited or places that I've not been to is really good. And sometimes people like will contact me and say they've seen it and you know that they enjoyed it or they can relate to it, which is always good. I was just like around. Sometimes I'll get an email from somebody saying that either they know they're not they don't have prosopagnosia, but they understand it or they have a similar you know they have a similar behaviour and. You know, yeah, I always quite like it when people say they can relate to it. Yeah, the way that I relate to it is for whatever set of reasons, it's the motion of people's mouths that I recognize 
more than anything else. And that's always been the way that I am. And I can't tell you why that is. Yeah, because it's weird because I was a bit older when I got diagnosed. And I think that like just throughout your life, I think that there's certain coping mechanisms you do for things that you don't even realize. Because I re- uh, And I think that's kind of true of a lot of people. Like I think what people have cause of agnosia that, you know, or something similar and they don't realize it because they've just worked out a way to deal with it and it's not been an issue. So they're not like trying to get a diagnosis. So, yeah, so I think lots of people can kind of relate to different things. Yeah. And I find that really fascinating to think about how many people might suddenly realize their own things and connect the dots by watching your film. That's quite powerful. I want to thank you so much for this interview. And I want to thank you so much for your work. I hope it will actually land someplace where the general public can view it after the festival run is over. Do you have designs on that? Yeah, sure. Hopefully. Yeah. It'd be nice to just even just put it online just so people can see it. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but just now, yeah, it's just screening at film festivals. And how much longer is it screening? Do you know? Probably, f- well, yeah, probably for the rest of the year, I think, is the idea to try and keep it going um, for as long as possible, maybe. But yeah, but it premiered in Edinburgh back in August. And then we've had a few screenings since then, but it's really kind of picking up now. And we've got a lot of festivals in the next few months. That's fantastic. Well, I wish you every success with it. And I want to thank you so much for this interview and for the work. I hope it continues in much the same vein. Yeah, thanks very much. Before you go, did you know that we're presenting at South by Southwest? Rabia and I will be talking about crafting a culture of accessibility in the film and TV industry. Please stay tuned, and we will share more about what's going on in Austin. Thank you for listening, and thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of land stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.